What runs but never walks? The answer is water. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability episode 95, hosted by yours truly, Kaylin Chenoweth. We are at episode 95! 95! That means episode 100 is coming up soon! If you've been following along, especially for episodes 50 to now, Go ahead and enter for a chance to be our participant in the episode 100 fun trivia game. How do you enter? Well, we made it super tricky. (laughs) Get it? It's tricky trivia. All you have to do is go to the Facebook group, Starting Sustainability, and let me know that you want to play. I'll put a post out on Sunday asking who wants to participate, and you basically respond in the comment. Or if you can't find the post because they move around on that Facebook group, that's all right. Then you can just do a direct message to me. You can also send me an email, which is kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N, at startingsustainability.com. What has been going on in my world this past week, sustainability-wise? Let me think. Oh, I finally made it to the farmer's market in my own town. (laughs) I've been a couple of times to other towns because I could just never make my towns, but I finally did it this past weekend. The challenging part was that we had an appointment at 11 a.m., so I had to squeeze in the farmer's market that morning because somehow my children miraculously slept in, which I am thrilled about, but then that meant we kind of got a late start, but that's okay. So the plan was for me to take the kids and get them out of the house so my husband could work on some house projects requiring power tools without having to worry about little ones insisting on, quote, helping. (laughs) Anybody who has kids understands that that helping means it's not helping at all. It's just making it a lot more stressful, a lot bigger of a mess, and takes three times as long to complete. After we ate breakfast, it took me way too long to get shoes on my three-year-old. So when we finally got to this farmer's market at 10, (laughs) remember my appointment was at 11, (laughs) the three-year-old had a meltdown because I parked in the wrong parking spot. I was very confused because it was the only parking spot left. And it turns out he wanted me to park inside the marked off construction area. So I had to explain that to him and spend 10 minutes calming him down about that. It was also 90 degrees outside, so it was hot, (laughs) very hot. For some reason, that always just makes it that much more uncomfortable. (laughs) But we went around to the different booths and got to explore, and I even found a master gardener booth. So that's really cool. (laughs) Turns out in Indiana, there is a master gardener program sponsored by Purdue University, Boiler Up, Go Boilermakers. That's where I went to school. That's my alma mater. And they have that Master Gardener program in every single county. There's 92 counties in Indiana. That's crazy. And I had no idea that this existed. I have no idea if this is available in every state, but it would be worth your while to look into it. And they offer classes too, which is great, (laughs) both online and in person. Because online for me is very tricky when I have two little ones um, screaming very loudly in the background. (laughs) So I'm thinking going to class would be a really nice evening out for me. After the Master Gardener's booth, we did continue walking around and I found a booth selling cinnamon rolls. And of course we got one and had to split it for all three of us. 
Then at the tail end of the farmer's market, I went by a booth and saw they still had some watermelon, which I thought was really only in season in July. And this is the last weekend of August. So I was very lucky <laughs> and I decided to get a black diamond watermelon, which you can't get these at the grocery store, only at the farmer's markets. Well, at least here in Indiana anyways. What is so special about a black diamond watermelon? It is a super dark green outside traditional grocery store watermelons have like stripes of lighter and darker green. The entire thing is a complete dark green. And when you cut it open, it is a dark ruby red, super juicy, extra sweet and delicious watermelon. Very, very tasty. I was so excited about it that I didn't think it through about the fact I was going to have to carry this watermelon all the way back to the car while pushing a stroller with a one-year-old in it and handling a three-year-old who likes to wander off sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> it made for a fun journey. And in the end, that watermelon was totally worth it. It was so delicious. And we were only 15 minutes late to our appointment. <laughs> Later on that afternoon, I left the kids with dad and I took off to a plant nursery by myself. Why? Well, the night before, Friday night, my husband mentioned us doing a fall garden because I grew some tomatoes and green beans and I have some loofahs on the vine. So now we are experts and decided to try a fall garden. I went to the nursery and went a little bit overboard. <laughs> I became the crazy plant lady all of a sudden. <laughs> I did not take Tisa Watts's advice and plan in advance. So you do that. You take the advice because it's too late for me at this point. I just bought whatever plants the nice lady at the place said would do well in a fall garden and that they had on hand. That's what I purchased. We're going to be eating a whole lot of salad this fall because all I got was kale, romaine, spinach, mescaline mixed lettuce, cabbage, and cauliflower. <laughs> we have two garden beds. One was prepped and ready for the garden. But since I bought too many plants and they didn't all fit into one, we now have to expand into the second garden bed, but it's not ready yet. <laughs> and of course, while I was doing this, the children insisted on helping me. So a good chunk of my plants got a lot of the leaves ripped off in the process of trying to help get them out of the little pots, put them in the ground, digging the hole beside them, smashing them with the shovel, whacking them with the shovel, stepping on them while trying to water them. It was very chaotic. And while all this was going down, my one-year-old snuck off around the corner. It's a fenced-in yard, so he was fine. But he went around the corner and found my tomato plants and picked every single tomato except for one and bit into almost all of them. <laughs> and what stinks even more is that they weren't ripe yet. They were almost ripe. Many of them were green. Two were at that yellow stage and two were at that orange almost that red, ripe, super sweet, delicious, juicy stage, but not quite yet. And he picked all of them. So I was a mixture of emotions. Angry, but it's a one-year-old. Disappointed and heartbroken because it was a lot of effort of watering them every other day to get them to that stage. And I didn't get to eat them or pick them. That's the fun part. That's why he did it. <laughs> so... I went to the Facebook group and I put a post in there and said, help, what do I do? And I got some really great answers of advice, including to place them inside of a brown paper bag with a banana, or I could have put them in the windowsill in a nice sunny spot to help them ripen up. 
Also, it was suggested to make fried green tomatoes or even pickle them. But to be honest, I really wanted a red, ripe, juicy tomato. So I opted to put them in the paper bag with a banana. So we're going to wait and see how that turns out and I'll keep you posted. The next day, on Sunday, we planned to prepare the other garden bed and get it ready, but it rained all day. And today is currently Monday, and it again rained all day because a hurricane came through in Louisiana, and now we're getting like the after effects. So for three days in a row, it is thunder and storming all day long. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to wait till later on this week to plant the garden, and hopefully it takes. But while we were stuck inside on a rainy Sunday, we made homemade pancakes from scratch, and I finally got a chance to use my homemade peach syrup that I made after I had all of the peaches that I had to can. I had all the skins left over and I didn't know what to do with them. So I boiled them and I made a peach syrup. And this is the first time that I actually had pancakes to put the syrup on. And let me tell you, it was so good. And I'm so glad that it turned out really well. Even my husband, who does not like peaches, by the way, tasted the syrup and then put it all over his pancakes and had a super delicious breakfast. Once I run out of peach syrup, I'm definitely going to make some more and maybe even experiment with some other fruit flavors as well. Very, very intrigued. I do talk a lot about cooking at home on this podcast and something that I don't remember if I've mentioned it or not, but we're going to talk about it now <laughs> is that when I cook, I have to use bottled water, which a lot of friends and family think is weird when they come to visit because they don't live in this town. But when I make spaghetti, I take bottled water and pour that in with the noodles. I can't use the tap water here. It is not safe to use the tap water here. I have to buy bottled water for everyday drinking water and cooking water. It's ridiculous. It's one of the factors of why I got into sustainability because it really does break my heart when I see that we're going through two to three cases of plastic bottled water every single week, but we really don't have any other choice at this point. The water in the city of Franklin was contaminated from a factory that was put up in the 80s and then it closed down in the late 80s, I believe. And when they closed at the time, they did follow the EPA regulations. So I'm not too mad at the factory, kind of a little bit at the EPA that didn't have tighter regulations, but either way, chemicals and stuff leaked out and contaminated the groundwater. Therefore, we're not able to trust the tap water. I can still shower with it and brush my teeth with it, but I'm not going to ingest it. And the reason that we know it's not safe is because there are an oddly high amount of a very specific cancer for children. It's only the children in this town who are contracting or getting these rare forms of brain cancer. And that's what kind of started the deep dive into why are all these children getting cancer and what is going on. And two moms here in this town, one lost her child, the other one went through extensive amounts of chemotherapy and the child did recover and survive. But both parents are brokenhearted that their children even had to go through that process. And there's many, many other parents that had to go through that as well. And my heart goes out to them. But those two moms put together an organization called What If It Was Your Child? And they're the driving force behind calling in the EPA and inspectors and surveyors trying to figure out what is going on. Even the real Aaron Brockovich is on the case. 
which that part is kind of cool. It stinks that we even have this case, but it's kind of cool the real Aaron Brockovich is on it. That's how serious this issue is around here. The main chemicals that are the culprits of contaminating the groundwater are called, there's two of them. The first one is trichloroethylene or TCE, and the other one is tetrachloroethylene, also known as PCE. And both of them are known carcinogens found within our groundwater. And the two moms who started the group, one is named Carrie Reinhardt and the other one is Stacy Davidson. So hats off to those two women who kind of led the charge on getting this investigation going and are working diligently with the government and EPA trying to figure out a way to clean up this nightmare of a mess. The reason I'm talking about water today and sharing this story is because a while back on the Facebook group, a woman named Diana posted, why are we encouraged to always save water, specifically when there's a drought? I don't understand. I thought we purified and our source was the sea. And how can we claim to be so advanced when we can't even use water freely? And why is it so expensive? Why isn't it cheaper or free? It's water. It's what keeps everything on this planet alive. And that made me realize not everybody understands where water comes from. And why don't we have access to free water? What is going on? So between the issues here that I live with in Franklin and to answer all the questions pertaining to water and where it comes from and how is it purified, that's why I put together this episode all about water to help clarify everything and spread education as well. The really cool part about that post was watching the conversation that it sparked. There were a lot of comments going back and forth, spreading the information, and it was really, really quite eye-opening to read everything and follow along. Let's now break down the post and answer the questions one by one. Where does our water come from? Our drinking water comes from lakes, rivers, and groundwater. What is groundwater? Rain drops down everywhere, all over the place, and it filters its way down underground. Groundwater is the water found under the ground, in the cracks, in spaces, in the soil, sand, and rock. It is stored in and moves slowly through geologic formations of soil, sand, and rocks called aquifers. For most Americans, the water then flows from intake points to a treatment plant, a storage tank, and then into our homes through various pipe systems. And all of that information came from NPR.org, and the article is called, How Do We Get Our Drinking Water in the U.S.? Why is the water going through a treatment plant if it's clean groundwater? Well, the reality is it's not clean groundwater. (laughs) And so we put it through a water treatment plant to help clean it up. And most common steps in the water treatment system that are used by nearly every single utility company include, number one, coagulation and flocculation. The heck is that? (laughs) So chemicals are added to the water. They bind with the dirt and dissolve particles, forming larger particles called flock. Step two is sedimentation. That's where the flock is heavy, so it settles to the bottom of the tank. Step three is filtration. The clear water on top passes through filters composed of sand, gravel, and charcoal to remove dissolved particles such as dust, parasites, bacteria, viruses, and chemicals. And the last step is disinfection. Chlorine or chloramine is added to kill parasites, bacteria, viruses, and germs. Fluorine is added to prevent tooth decay. 
Some places, like California and Texas, have water restrictions. When we lived in Texas, we could only water our lawn on certain days of the week, especially during the summertime, when it didn't rain that much. It rained very rarely, actually. <laughs> like maybe seven times out of the whole year. <laughs> and if the levels of the water in the lake and the aquifer got really low, then you could only water certain days out of the month. Which, honestly, watering yard one to two times a month is absolutely pointless in the Texas heat. It's still going to be very brown and dead. And they would legit have water patrol people <laughs> come by, and if you were watering on the wrong day, you would get a ticket. As a result, it was very common to see drought-tolerant yards, or what they would call like Texas yards, where you had rock gardens. <laughs> and cacti, and succulents, and aloe plants, ones that didn't need water very often. They are native to Texas and could handle the drought. You'd go around the neighborhood and you'd see those lawns because they didn't have to maintain them. You also don't have to mow that lawn either if you don't have any grass, if you just have a giant rock garden. So I think that was the motivation behind a lot of it too. Mowing in the Texas heat sucks. <laughs> it gets to be like 113. It's freaking hot. Now to answer the next question from the Facebook post. Why do we need to save water? Clean water, especially water that is usable by humans for consumption, is a non-renewable resource. While it may seem that the large oceans, rivers, and lakes in and around the continents should suffice to provide humans with this natural resource, water from those sources is not usable in its untreated state. Water from rivers and lakes, in many cases, requires a cleansing process, and water from the ocean requires not only purification, but also desalination. That means they're taking the salt out of it. Keeping our waterways clean is very important. Pollution is one of the major contributing factors to non-usable water. It is in our best interest, both for our health and the health of our children and animals, to keep our water as clean as possible. It is especially important to conserve water during times of drought, especially during the summer months. Water plays a strategic role in raising crops and cattle for our food, not only in the United States, but in other countries from where we import supplies. Water is not an unlimited resource. It only rains so much and the population keeps growing. All of that information came from ecologyactioncenter.org. Where does our wastewater go? Water leaving our homes generally goes either into a septic tank in the backyard where it seeps back into the ground or is sent to a wastewater treatment plant through a sewer system. Different treatment is used depending on the type of water coming into the plant and the water quality requirements of water leaving the plant. Often the first stages of water treatment are purely physical methods, such as letting solid particles settle to the bottom of a holding tank and filtering the water through sand or other fine particulate matter. Filters are used to screen out large particles and at a minimum, chlorine is added to kill dangerous bacteria and microorganisms. A typical set of steps to treat water include, number one, odor control, where chemicals are added to help keep down foul odors. Number two is screening. They move the water through screens to separate larger solids and trash. Number three is the primary treatment. They move the water into large tanks and allow solid material to settle at the surface, scrape material off and dispose of it. Number four is aeration. This is where they stir up the water to get it to release gases and pump air through the water to allow bacteria to act on organic matter to help it to decay. 
Number five is removing sludge. Are you guys grossed out yet? Because I am. (laughs) They remove the sludge. That is the solid material that settles to the bottom. That part's removed. And then number six, more filtration. They filter the water through sand, for example, to reduce bacteria, odors, iron, and other solids. Next is digest the solid material. They hold and heat the solid material to break it down to nutrient-rich biosolids and methane gas. And the last step is disinfection. Water is treated with chlorine to kill the bacteria. Some systems have additional water treatment that use biologic processes to remove organics, nitrogen, and phosphorus, a membrane tank to remove bacteria and suspended solids, ultraviolet disinfection to render viruses inactive, and aeration to raise the oxygen level needed by fish living in the river where the treated wastewater is dumped after cleansing. So yes, after our wastewater is cleaned, it is returned to water sources. It takes a lot to clean sewer water, as we just reviewed. (laughs) And by leaving water running while brushing your teeth, that is clean water going down the drain and getting contaminated by all the other dirty water in the sewers. That requires additional effort and resources needed to clean the water that was already clean to begin with. That's why we push saving on water, using it sparingly. Don't waste the clean water because it was a lot of work to get it to that clean stage. When it comes to cost, yeah, turn off the water and brushing your teeth. Reduce your shower time. Water your plants early in the morning or in the evening because reducing water consumption will also reduce your water bill. The next question to answer from the Facebook post is why isn't it free? Have you ever received anything for free? You find out that it's free and you get super excited. Chipotle has a free burrito day and when I was in college, I knew people who would stand in line for the free burrito, then go back and stand in line again and repeat (laughs) just to see how many free burritos they could get. Have you ever eaten a Chipotle burrito? One burrito will fill you up. They just wanted the free stuff and didn't care about the others who might actually be hungry. I'm not saying that was right. Definitely saying it was kind of wrong. But the point is, when anything is free, people go nuts. (laughs) They're very wasteful. It's the same with going to a festival or a conference, right? You already have a junk drawer full of pens and stuff at home, but you just can't resist going around and collecting all of the free pens and notepads, water bottles, reusable bags, koozies for your drink, and so on and so forth. For some reason, whenever we hear anything is free, We just have to go get it because everybody else is getting it and we want ours that we're entitled to as well. Now imagine free water. Everyone would take advantage of it. Everyone would install sprinkler systems for their lawn. There's just something about living in a suburb where the lawn competitions are ridiculously intense (laughs) amongst the neighbors. Everyone would also take long hot baths every day versus a nice quick shower. They would let their toddler flush the toilet repeatedly for hours because it's entertainment for the child and they're not bothering the parent. (laughs) And definitely everybody would go get a pool. I even think some people would get a moat just for security purposes because if there is no cost, then there is no motivational factor to conserve. I will admit I am not innocent when it comes to free stuff. I know I've caught myself 
many times. If my kids want bubbles in their bath, I will go to the closet where I have the little free samples that I got from the hospital or from the hotels because the stuff that I paid for was going to go into their hair. Even if it was the same brand. It's a weird mental thing that we all have when it comes to free stuff. It's okay to waste the free items and we must conserve the items that we paid for. The higher the price, the more conservative we are. Only once it is gone do we conserve like crazy. Remember the toilet paper shortage of 2020? Everyone stopped wrapping around their hand three to four times and started using one to two squares to make that roll last as long as possible. Same for when I was living in Florida and Hurricane Irene was coming. We all knew that once the hurricane hit, the water supply would most likely be contaminated. So the day before, everyone filled up bathtubs with water, pots and pans, empty milk jugs, water bottles, everything that you could find in your house, you filled up with water because we knew that it was going to be anywhere from three days to a couple of weeks without clean water. So we had to get as much of it as we could. And then once the hurricane passed and we all found out that the water lines were safe, what did we do? We didn't need bathtubs full of water and all these milk jugs full of water. So we just dumped all the perfectly clean water down the drains. And it's really sad. And I'm embarrassed that I was a part of that. But that was before I was aware of how important sustainability was. So I was that wasteful person. And we're taking actions now to fix it. One last thing that I want to point out as to why water is not free. I remember learning in my college economics class that there was a cap on the price of tap water. This cap was to keep it affordable for everyone. However, when you go buy bottled water, it is significantly at a higher price point when you compare ounce per ounce or liter to liter. And that is because bottled water is at the true cost of water which is way above that cap on tap water. So even though our water is not free, our tap water is at a discounted price to keep it affordable for everybody. Let's shift gears now and talk about what we can all do to conserve water. And everything I'm about to tell you came from the ecologyactioncenter.org from their Clean Water Water Conservation article. So we're gonna go around the house, <laughs> room by room. The first one is in the bathroom. What can you do to conserve water in the bathroom? First, check all your faucets, pipes, and toilets periodically for leaks. A faucet drip or invisible leak to the toilet will add up to 15 gallons of water a day or 105 gallons a week, which adds up to 5,475 gallons of wasted water a year. So check your flapper periodically to make sure it's a tight fit. And if you do find a leak, Fix it immediately. The next one is to install water-saving shower heads. A low-flow shower head delivers 2.5 gallons of water per minute or less and are relatively inexpensive. Older shower heads use between 5 to 7 gallons per minute. Take shorter showers or try a navy shower, which here on the show previously we called it a Girl Scout shower. Due to a lack of fresh water aboard ship, sailors were taught to get wet, Turn off the water, soap up and scrub, then briefly turn the water back on and rinse it all off, which is honestly a good routine for all of us. The next tip is to install a 1.6 gallon low flow toilet. <laughs> I just did that last week. Two of them actually. <laughs> the ultra low flow toilets use only 1.6 gallons of water per flush. Using these could cut indoor water use by as much as 20%. 
older toilets use between three and a half to seven gallons per flush. And if you have a potty training toddler like me, they flush it a lot. Check for toilet leaks. Once a year, check for toilet leaks. Remove the toilet tank cover and drip 10 drops of food coloring into the tank. After 15 minutes, check for color in the toilet bowl. If you see any color, your toilet has a leak and should be repaired immediately. Again, remember to check your flapper periodically to make sure it's a tight fit. Install high efficiency, low flow faucet aerators. Older faucets use between three and seven gallons per minute. Low flow faucet aerators use no more than one and a half gallons per minute. The aerators can be attached to most existing faucets. Our water company here, when we moved into the house, they actually came around and gave us a low flow shower head and aerators for our sinks, which is really cool for free. They gave it to us for free, so we're really excited about it. And the last tip for the bathroom is to turn off the water while shaving or brushing your teeth or any other evening routine chore that you're doing. Don't let the water run while you brush your teeth and wash your face or hands or shave. This can save between three to seven gallons per minute. All right, that's it for the bathroom. We're gonna move on to the kitchen and the laundry area. Here's how you can save water in that part of your house. Number one, fill up your dishwasher. Your dishwasher uses the same amount of water, whether it is full or just partially full of dishes. So be sure to fill it all the way up. Many dishwashers have a water saver cycle to save even more water. The next one is to keep drinking water in your refrigerator. And this makes so much sense. When you turn on the water in your faucet and you're waiting for it to either get hot or you're waiting for it to get really cold to drink, Grab an empty pitcher, put it underneath the faucet, turn on the faucet, and while you're waiting for the water to either turn hot or turn cold, you're collecting the excess clean water, which normally would have just gone down the drain. And now you take that pitcher of water where you've collected all the water that you gathered while you're waiting, that goes in your fridge and it will keep it cold. So now the next time you need a cold glass of water, instead of turning on the faucet and waiting for it to get cold, you already have a pitcher of water ready to go. <laughs> I also like that idea of just collecting the excess water. Even if you don't need drinking water in your fridge, you can still use that excess water to water your plants or whatever the case may be, you can use that water. The next way you can save water is to defrost food in your refrigerator because when you have food, that is frozen, you need to defrost it. You can plan ahead and put it in the refrigerator to thaw for a couple of days because the other recommendation is usually to put it under running water, which is a huge waste. So just plan ahead, put it in the fridge. Or if you didn't plan ahead <laughs> and you realize, oh shoot, that frozen chicken, I need it for tonight. That's when you could put it in the microwave on the defrost setting. And that way you will save water and still get it to defrost in time to cook it for dinner. The next tip is to select a proper water level for your laundry. Unlike your dishwasher, you can control the amount of water being used by your clothes washers. Select the proper water level for each load of laundry. A front-loading washing machine uses one-third less water than top-loading machines. So if you need to get a new machine, then the front loader is definitely the way to go. And the last tip is to reuse your fish tank water. We don't have fish here, but if we did, this is something we could do. Use the old fish tank water on your household plants. 
because besides saving water, it's actually a really good fertilizer for your plants as well. Those are all the tips for inside the house. Now we're gonna venture outside the house and figure out how we can save water there. The first one is to choose an automatic irrigation system. An automatic sprinkler system can be set to water the lawn for a specific amount of time. This saves you time and waters the lawn evenly. If you don't have an automatic sprinkler system, then set a kitchen timer. A lot of water can be wasted in a short period of time if you forget to turn your sprinklers off. Outdoor faucets can flow at rates as high as 300 gallons per hour. <laughs> so don't forget to turn it off. If you're not very fancy, like me, and you don't have a sprinkler system, cause I don't, <laughs> then a great choice is to do what they call spot water which means you're basically watering the areas that need it by hand. Also, water the lawn only when needed. How do you know when it needs it? Well, a quick method is to just step on the grass. And if it springs back up when you move your foot away, it doesn't really need any water. If it stays smashed down, probably time to water the grass. <laughs> and another tip is to not water the pavement. Position your sprinklers so that water lands on the lawn or the garden and not in areas where it's not needed, like the sidewalk. Another suggestion is to use a broom to clean the driveway and sidewalk. Sweeping the driveway and sidewalk will get them clean enough without having to waste gallons of water spraying them clean. And don't let the water run while you're washing your car. Get the car wet and just like the Navy shower, turn off the water, <laughs> soap the car down, scrub it all up, then turn the water back on for a final rinse. And then what do you do with that leftover bucket of soapy water? That's right. You're going to water your flower or garden bed, depending on the soap that you use. Double check, make sure that it's safe for your plants. And just like everywhere inside the house, on the outside of the house, you're going to want to check for leaks in your pipes, hoses, and faucets. And if any of them are leaking, then repair, replace them as quickly as possible. If you have a swimming pool, cover it up. Covering a swimming pool will help reduce evaporation. An average size pool can use about 1,000 gallons of water per month if left uncovered. A pool cover can cut the loss by up to 90%. Also at the end of the season, when the weather starts turning cold, recycle your pool water. Backwashing or draining your pool into the street is against the water conservation, landscaping, and water waste ordinance. Use your pool water to irrigate your lawn, plants, trees, and shrubs. You may also have to water your neighbor's yards as well because pools have a lot of water, depending on the size of your pool. <laughs> and once you have recycled as much water as possible, find your sanitary sewer cleanout, remove the cap, and pump the pool water into the sewer at a rate not to exceed 20 gallons per minute. And that's because a faster rate could cause backup into your house. <laughs> And pump rentals are available at swimming pool supply stores and equipment rental companies. When using your hose outdoors to water your lawn and garden and stuff, install a shut-off nozzle on the end of your hose. Those shut-off nozzles completely turn off the water even when you're not using it. So you don't have to keep walking back and forth, turn it on, turn it off. Those are really, really nice. And the last one is to use a cistern to collect rainwater. 1,000 square feet of roof or pavement can collect 420 gallons of water from one inch of rain. 
rooftops, or any sloping surface such as driveways are prime catchment areas for rainwater. Store the collected water in a cistern and siphon it off to water your garden or wash your car. A plastic or metal garbage can is easily converted to a cistern by attaching a spigot and a hose. Locate your cistern close to wherever you plan to use the water and consider the massive weight of such a tank if you plan to put it on your roof. (laughs) So I really wouldn't recommend putting it on your roof. (laughs) Just putting it underneath your rain spout, your rain gutter, that's probably an ideal location. It is also recommended to filter out the leaves and debris by installing a removable screen at the entrance of the cistern. To this day, many, many people including my husband, (laughs) think that it is illegal to collect rainwater. So I looked into it and here's what I found. Way back when the West, the Wild West was being settled, approximately 150 years ago, people would claim land for agricultural purposes and people would divert rivers and streams to their land, depleting the resources for others down the stream. That's when they started requiring claims for water rights. Then it became illegal to collect rainwater because the thought was that the rainwater would have ended up in a river belonging to someone else who needed it. These laws are very old and antiquated. Now, today, cities and states are undoing those ridiculous laws and are in fact encouraging rainwater collection to relieve pressure from the city's municipalities. There are more people than there are water. That's why there's so much talk about conserving water, saving water. So if you're collecting rainwater and using it, one, your bill is going to go down, which is always a win-win. And two, it's allowing more water for somebody else to use because we are conserving it and saving it. And now that we are gardeners, my husband and I, guess what just went on my Christmas list? That's right, a rain barrel. (laughs) Wow, I think I just gave you about a hundred different tips on how to save water and conserve within your home. So let's go ahead and add another one for our weekly challenge. Let me go ahead and draw a card real quick. It says... House plants help to absorb carbon dioxide in the room, so pick some that are easy to care for. Okay, well, it's not water-related, but the chances of that were pretty slim. But I would like to add on a little part two of this weekly challenge. If you have house plants, then water them using leftover water. Like when you're done cooking spaghetti and you have that leftover water, let it cool down and pour it in your plants. Just like we talked about with the fish tanks using that water. Or if you have to turn on the water and let it run to become hot or to become cold, save that water in a pitcher and use that to water your house plants. If you don't have a house plant, then we'll just back it up and we'll start with getting a house plant. What are some that are really easy to care for? This is where Michael Nazarian from Realistic Sustainability would help a lot or Tisa Watts from Columbus Gardening School would help a lot. I didn't know which challenge I was going to draw because I keep them a surprise because I want to be surprised too. The few that I know of would be succulents, which don't take all that much water. (laughs) That's why they're easy to take care of. And I know there's some snake plants or elephant ear plants. I think those are relatively easy to take care of. I don't know. 
I'm going to post this on the Facebook group. And if you have some suggestions for easy indoor plants, please list them out for everybody else and help me out because I really don't know <laughs> which ones are easy. I don't currently have indoor plants because I have two kids and two cats <laughs> and they knock them over. I attempted an indoor plant once and very quickly learned that was a bad idea. <laughs> so once the kids are older or we don't have the cats anymore, then I'll be happy to do some indoor plants. Actually, I just had an idea. I bet I could do a hanging plant because all my windowsills are low to the ground, easily reachable by cats and kids. But I bet if I had a hanging plant that I could put up high, I might be able to actually get an indoor plant. Hmm. Guess what else just went on my Christmas list? An indoor plant, the pot, the hanger, the whole, whole shebang. If you're able to take part in the weekly challenge, if not, I listed out a whole bunch of other challenges <laughs> earlier in this episode. Everybody should be able to do a couple of actions that'll help conserve water this week. It was a pleasure talking with you, Sustainer Nation. As always, have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will talk to you again next week. Have a great one. Bye. Welcome to the Realistic Sustainability Podcast, a guide to greening your life. Each week, we will explore sustainability concepts and what we can do to reduce our family's carbon footprint while growing our positive footprint. This show supports step-by-step -step progress without those extreme jump-all-in measures. So join us on Anchor or your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today.